I will say you can't have a thriving and joyful relationship with an avoidantly attached person if they're not working on undoing that attachment. It's the same as anxiously attached people. Nobody's going to love us enough out of our anxious attachment. You can't love somebody enough out of their avoidant attachment. Can we fundamentally change our attachment style? Yes, we can. We can change it if we commit to the work of self-journeying, self-awareness, self-development, healing. Hi all, and thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Open House. We're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all, because we believe that you can truly experience life advancement without having to spend thousands of pounds on -on one-on-one therapy. We believe that happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. If you love this episode today, please do share on social media and tag us at Open House Life, as well as tagging Dr. Tari and I now into the episode and it's a juicy one. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Open House with me and the ever incredible Dr. Terry Mack, clinical psychologist and relationship expert who heads up all of our Open Heart episodes. So welcome to episode 41, episodes 38, 39 and 40. We went in on the anxious attachment style and the feedback has been absolutely phenomenal. As we came to the end of that series, we started to get more and more messages saying, please do the other attachment styles. So today we're going to jump into the avoidant attachment style, one that I have personally a great deal of experience with. I have dated a lot of avoidant men in my time. And I have a lot to bring to the table today. So as ever, we're going to go into this episode with no shame, no judgment, whatever you're bringing to the table, you or your partner. This is a compassionate space for us to work through all the things that might come up when you are dealing with an avoidant attachment style. And as with all episodes, we're coming to this episode from a heteronormative stance because it's the one that Dr. Terry and I are most familiar with and can bring the most value to. But please, as ever, take these learnings and apply them to your own relationship because that is what we are here for. So welcome, everyone. And Dr. Terry, let's jump in with the very first question, which is what is the avoidant attachment style? Yes, the avoidant attachment style is a attachment that develops because in childhood, a child's needs were not met their emotional needs were not responded to. There may have been severe neglect. There may have been emotional neglect. Their caregivers did not respond and meet the child's needs. So the child learns to sublimate all of their needs and feelings because it's too dangerous to put them out there. They may have also been criticized or shamed for expressing needs and feelings. So they learned not to do that. They learned not to depend on anyone. Does that mean that maybe, for example, the child would be crying or something would be happening and the caregiver, for whatever reason, and again, no no shame to the maybe very overworked parents or the very overtired parents or the parents that were trying to run three jobs at once, 
But does it mean that sometimes in practice, they just weren't able to give the child what it needed? So it learned basically like there's no point in me crying. So I'm just going to stop crying. Is that what happens? Exactly. And it's a pattern of this over time, right? So one time when a parent can't meet the child's needs or, you know, here and there, this is a pattern of behavior and experience in the child's life. Interesting. Okay. So they grow up into adults that basically feel like there is no point in, is it that they feel that there's no point in communicating their needs or that they aren't maybe consciously aware of that? They just know that's like a highly uncomfortable thing for them to do. So they just don't do it. What do you think it looks like? And what are some of the traits that maybe we see in avoidant men and women in adult relationships? Yeah. So I think it's a range. They either consciously know there's no point in me doing this or it's dangerous to do this. When I've reached out, when I've asked for help, when I've expressed my feelings and needs, I get shamed, bad things happen, or people just disappoint me and don't show up. So people have varying levels of awareness of that. But in adulthood, that looks like people that really overvalue their independence and freedom. People with avoidant attachment, fear intimacy, they avoid close connection. They don't let people get too close. They don't ask for help. If they're with somebody who wants to be closer to them, they're never going to solve that problem about how can we get closer because they feel dependent on that buffer, that physical and emotional buffer of distance. They feel they need that to be safe. Oh, so this is where we get into the concept of the anxious avoidant dance, right? Which we've spoken about actually a lot on the podcast, where the anxious person or the anxiously attached person often wants to pull someone closer to feel safe and the avoidant they need that buffer so they want to push you away so it then becomes this dance where the anxious is being pulled towards the avoidant and the avoidance jumping back and it becomes this back and forth so that's is that what is going on with the anxious avoidant dance yeah that's exactly it and it could also be called the anxious avoidance cycle right because the anxiously attached person, as we've discussed, is always seeking connection, always seeking reassurance and intimacy, or what they feel is true intimacy. And the avoidant is the opposite. They're always going away from intimacy. They don't want to get close. So what happens is the anxious is always pursuing, the avoidant is avoiding, that blows up, there's a conflict. Sometimes the anxiously attached person looks crazy, because they're overwhelmed, they're flooded, their anxiety is high, they say things they don't mean, they do the protest behaviors. And then after this click, the avoidantly attached person remembers all the negative and they want space, they need to get away. And they actually enjoy that. They, the cycle works for them because the conflict then allows them to have that space that they need. However, the anxiously attached person after a conflict, pretty soon after that, they start to remember all the good things. They overlook, you know, the toxicity of the cycle and they want to reconnect. So eventually they reconnect. It usually takes a while because the avoidant is, hell no, I need time now. They reconnect, but it doesn't last very long until the dance starts again. The underlying issue is the seeking and avoidance of intimacy. Wow. So it all comes back to intimacy. Ultimately, yes. there's a fear that they just 
yeah, just so uncomfortable for them to get close to that person. And I think that this is something that we spoke about on another episode with about me and the guy that I used to date when I was living in LA and how I hadn't started going to therapy at that point. So I wasn't aware how avoidant he was. And for me, because I wasn't aware, it just felt like a big game. You know, how do I get closer to him? And, you know, I was thinking about that relationship before we got on this recording today, because I was trying to think what were the, the, I guess, like red flags from that attachment style that I didn't pick up on. And I think that for me, it was like there were never any emotions involved. There was never any discussions around how we felt about anything to do with us. So we would have great conversations about life and, you know, other things. But the second that it came to our relationship, we literally didn't even talk about it. Whereas, for example, with the man that I'm with now, where it's so much healthier and open communication, we talk so much around like, oh, this makes me feel like this and that's coming up because of that. And that's because he's secure. So he's able to hold space for that. Whereas I look back to this other guy and like there were no discussions around intimacy and I just couldn't even get them out of him. Like it was like he was a stone wall. Like it wasn't even like I could have done it if I tried. So I think I just didn't try. And then the same thing with the physical intimacy. One of my love languages is physical touch. But when we were out in public, he would never touch me never kiss me. You know, that doesn't mean that it wasn't great when we would be at home together. But when we were out in public, I just felt the buffer between us. And for me, as someone who has more of an anxiously attached style, it felt uncomfortable for me. It was like, oh, do you not, are you not proud to be with me? Do you not want to, you know, all those stories and assumptions that we make up. Do you think that transitions also into physical intimacy as well as emotional intimacy? Or is that just different for everyone dependent on their own personal love language? No, avoidantly attached people often also avoid physical affection, right? Because that does bring you closer to someone. That doesn't mean that avoidantly attached people don't have sex. In fact, they might have lots of sex with people they don't get attached to. Oh, Interesting. Okay, this wasn't where I thought we were going to go with today's episode, but I think this is interesting. So let's say that people are free, single, dating. I shouldn't say free because that implies you're not, not free when you're in a relationship. You know what I mean? Single, dating. So the anxiously attached potentially may find it harder to have casual sex. I know a big generalization, but maybe because they'll be craving some more intimacy that doesn't come with like a one night stand, but maybe an avoidantly attached might be more fine with that because they can just be more disconnected from that and they're not expecting intimacy. Do you think that's fair to say? I think often the anxiously attached person will have sex, hoping it will lead to more emotional intimacy. And it doesn't work that way most of the time. And if you just had sex with somebody who's avoidantly attached, it's most definitely not going to work that way. Absolute truth bomb, light bulb moment there. Yeah, I, I love that. So I feel like in my experience, these avoidantly attached, unless they've done the work, often don't know that they're avoidantly attached. And I know that you and I did a workshop back during the pandemic. And there was a guy on the workshop who basically felt like he was really mysterious. That was one of his personality traits. And we were talking about the avoidantly attached. And he was like, no, there's something attractive about there being some air of mystery. And you and I were smiling to ourselves because we like knew exactly what was going on in that moment. So 
Do you think that's just the avoidant attachment style coming up and they're labeling it? Do you think people put stories around it like, oh, I'm just mysterious or I'm just independent or other people are too needy. They need too much from me. Is that what you see in practice as well? Possibly. I want to make sure that people understand that when we're talking about attachment style, it's a pervasive kind of across the board pattern of behavior. So I know you and I were talking about what's the difference between, let's say, a guy who doesn't like to talk about his feelings or is a bad communicator. And does that always mean he's avoidantly attached? No. So if somebody is avoidantly attached, then yes, they may, they probably do have these stories about people, you know, just like anxiously attached have stories that run their anxiety, which is I'm too much. I'm not enough. Nobody ever sticks around. Nobody ever loves me the way that I love them. Avoidantly attached probably have stories. If people get too close, they hurt me. You know, it's bad to be dependent on someone. I need my freedom and independence, whatever those stories are. Yes. Yeah. And I think that is such an important thing that I want to talk about today is that fine line between someone being poor at communicating or finding it uncomfortable to communicate versus being anxiously attached. Because I have dated a lot of men who are poor at communicating. And I would also say myself, pre-therapy, was poor at communicating because even though I'm highly emotional, sometimes I find it hard to put those emotions into my mouth and to feel safe to say them in front of someone else because they're too much or they're gonna shame they're gonna shame me or they're gonna judge me, et cetera, et cetera. So let's take this into practice, okay? Say that someone is dating a man or a woman who is not good in those moments of communication. So they don't communicate how they feel or they don't communicate what they feel just generally about things. How can someone start to navigate? Because we don't want people to just say, and I think this is one of the risks in the self-help sort of mental health world is everyone's very quick just to label, oh, he's a narcissist, she's toxic, blah, blah, blah. And that's what we want this podcast to feed into. We understand that there's a lot of spectrums and there's no black and white thinking here. And it's about understanding and how to navigate those different areas. But where would you start if someone feels like they're in a relationship and they feel like, I think my partner might have an avoidant attachment style, but also maybe they're just poor at communicating. What kind of things would you be looking at there to delineate between those two? The difference between an avoidantly attached person and somebody who's poor at communicating or has difficulty expressing himself or herself is that in moments of connection, moments of vulnerability, does it bring the two of you closer or does it cause one of you to then disappear and go away, Mm. pull away? Mm. And if your partner is avoidantly attached, those moments of deep connection are going to scare the hell out of them. And In a healthy relationship, those moments are what we crave as humans. So those moments are breakthroughs that bring you closer and the relationship gets stronger. I actually could not agree with you more about that. And obviously you're always right because you're the expert here. But me and my man had our first sort of small piece of conflict last week. And I know that we spoke about on another podcast in episode 38, when you were saying that actually, you know, your first conflict will bring you closer if you can navigate it healthily. And he's also actually sat here right now whilst I'm recording. So he's probably thinking to himself, oh God, I can't believe she's telling the whole world about this. But He's there right now? He's there right now, but he has headphones in, so he can't hear. 
<laughs> I think he's pretending that he can't hear me. I think what was so interesting is that, like you said, it did bring us closer because it was a very uncomfortable situation and we communicate very differently. And I think this is actually the perfect example is that even though he is securely attached, he is not good at communicating in times of conflict. So I get more upset, more communicative, need more reassurance, more love. And he is very solution-based and not highly emotional in those moments. So he didn't pull away like an avoidantly attached person did. You know, he didn't get up and leave. He didn't say, this is too much for me. I'll be back in a few days, et cetera, et cetera, which I know we'll come to in a minute because if people are going through that in their relationship, that is a big thing to be dealing with. But it was interesting to see that we did communicate differently in that. But because we are in a healthy partnership, I would say we've actually gotten so much closer over the last week because we were able to discuss what do I need in conflict? And in those moments, what does he need in conflict? And it's actually brought us definitely a million times closer together because we also had this amazing discussion around how, and I don't know if this is a gender thing, I don't know if this is a male thing, but in moments of conflict, he wants to give solutions. But in moments of conflict, I don't want solutions. I want reassurance. And I think it'd be really interesting to ask you, is that because I'm more anxiously attached that I just want love and reassurance? You know, I just don't want solutions. I just want someone to say, I love you. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to get through this. What is going on there? And then we'll go back to the avoidantly attached because we've gone off on a bit of a tangent. But I think it's interesting in terms of how poor communication is not avoidant attachment. Not necessarily, no. And that was a perfect example. I think what you're describing is often a gender difference, that men are solution more focused, they want to help, they want to fix, and women are more emotional. Again, these are stereotypes, but you know they do hold true. There is some validity to that. But I will also say that what you can learn to do and what we can all learn to do is to tell our partner what it is we're looking for. So you can say up front, I just need you to listen or I'm looking for help or advice or a solution, or I just want you to hear something. Mm. And if you can tell your partner, and first you have to get clear on yourself, what is my intention in sharing this and what do I need? And then you just communicate that. The way that you make everything sound so simple, because it is so simple, that as human beings, we make everything so complex. You're so right. Thinking to yourself in a regulated manner, I feel this about this, okay, it doesn't feel good and I want to share it with my partner, but I want to share it with the intention of A, them just listening, B, them reassuring me, or C, them providing me a solution. And that's so true that if in that moment I had said to him, because I was upset about leaving Mexico, which is a very fair and valid point, it's been the most beautiful experience and then it's, oh my God, why I have to leave and what happens? And again, for someone anxiously attached, that's the worst nightmare. It's like horrible distance, etc, etc. But in that moment, if I had just said to him, I feel upset about this, and I want to share it with you, but I'm just looking for reassurance. Because I think he went into solution mode, and I didn't need solutions, I just needed reassurance. But taking it back to the episode, because I, I will definitely go into communication in another episode, because I think it's a huge area that I think people need help with, and that I really want us to help with. But in those moments when you are with someone who is avoidantly attached rather than them just being poor communicator. I put a TikTok out about this and the comments that came back were literally hilarious. It was like, oh yeah, I'd be having like an awful argument with my boyfriend and he'd literally just 
get up and say that he'd have to go and play football or he'd get up because he needed to go and feed his dog like just ridiculous stuff and for me I found that if you get up and leave during conflict for me as someone who is anxiously attached that is so insanely triggering and I remember with an ex-boyfriend who was like majorly avoidant he would just leave emotionally physically he would also be highly abusive and horrendous during those moments but he would get up and leave and that would have me literally on the floor like crying please don't leave I'm so sorry so I think there's also a really interesting delineation in terms of checking out emotionally versus checking out physically so I've also had a lot of boyfriends who will disassociate in conflict and they'll just be like glazed over like you know it's they know they have to sit there to go through the conflict but they can't engage in it and then I've also had other boyfriends who literally will get up and leave and when people get up and leave let's start with that first like you said sometimes they can just leave right for hours and even days and that can be a good thing for them they feel like ah but for the anxiously attached they're like this is horrendous so in those moments what is going on when the avoidant physically leaves the conflict or the relationship if they are avoidantly attached they need space they literally cannot be there anymore. I do want to say in a healthy relationship, sometimes one partner does need to take a break. And that isn't done by getting up in an angry way and storming out or just leaving without communicating. What that looks like is I am overwhelmed or I am shut down or I'm going to say something I regret. And so I need space. And I do want to work on this with you. I do want to talk about it. But first, I need to get to a better place for myself. That is healthy. This is such an important thing that just leaving is not healthy. And I think that for anyone listening who is, I guess, either avoidantly attached themselves or with someone that is avoidantly attached, that for me feels like a huge part of this jigsaw is, you know, just communication around the attachment style. So I think that in terms of thinking about it from the nervous system perspective, like you said, the avoidantly attached gets overwhelmed in the same way that the anxiously attached does, but the anxiously attached wants to pull closer to deal with that dysregulation, whereas the avoidantly attached wants to push away. Yes, that, that point of being able to say, I feel like I'm about to become dysregulated here, or I'm going to say something that's going to hurt you. So let's take a time out. And also, I love, I listened to another podcast that we're talking about putting a backstop on yes. the timeout, but to make the more anxiously attached person feel like, okay, it's not this forever. Like, do you think that's a good kind of piece of advice there for the avoidant attached and how, if someone's listening to this and they're avoidantly attached or someone isn't, but they want to ask their partner to communicate with this soundbite, what kind of thing can you say in terms of like, oh, I'm feeling dysregulated. It's triggering my attachment style instead of running away. Can I have some time out and maybe we could reconnect in 20 minutes or I'll call you tomorrow as soon as I wake up. How can you navigate that in the moments when it feels like this avoidant attachment style is about to kick in and become damaging? Yeah, I think just what you said. So you communicate that you need to take a break and then you let your partner know or the two of you come up with it up together when you're going to talk again. I will call you tonight. We will talk about it because for the anxiously attached person, like you said, they need that. They need to know when the reconnection will happen. And that may not mean the whole conflict has solved them, but at least you'll touch base. 
And it's important what you said about the nervous system, because you're right. Both people are being activated. Their nervous systems are overwhelmed. The avoidantly attached person shuts down, goes away. The anxiously attached person wants to connect. Neither is the optimal way. And nothing is going to get done when one or both people is activated like that. Nothing is going to get resolved. So the best thing, even for the anxiously attached person, is to take some time, reconnect here, maybe talk to friends. This is what we've talked about, the self-soothing. Because when the anxiously attached is flooded with feeling, nothing good is going to come from that. When the avoidantly attached is shut down and wanting to get the hell out of there, nothing good is going to come from that. So again, it always comes back to the work of regulating your emotions, regulating your nervous system. So you think clearly, feel clearly and communicate what it is you're thinking and feeling. Okay, I love this. Now I want to go a step deeper here because we've spoken about how the avoidantly attached fundamentally have a fear of true emotional intimacy, right? We've spoken a lot about how I have dated men who are avoidantly attached and it's become a big game for me without me even realizing it to love them into someone that loves intimacy and will open up with me in a way that they've never done before. And honestly, this has been like a recurring theme for me. And I'm going to just take uh, an example because I know that people love real life examples. It helps them put into context. So with this man that I spent a number of years with, he was avoidantly attached, but underneath this big, burly, aggressive, rugby playing, fighting man, I could see his little inner child on the inside that believed the emotional intimacy. Because in those moments when they're like lying on you or really in true emotional intimacy, you can see that when you've got through all the layers of them, that ultimately you can see that they're like, oh, I finally feel like loved and held. But for most people who are avoidantly attached, it they don't get to that core point of the bullseye because all of the parts around the bullseye are like, I feel uncomfortable, I feel uncomfortable, we're getting closer, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. So if someone is avoidantly attached and they fundamentally have this deep-rooted fear of intimacy, Can they ever truly be intimate? Is it something that is wired into them? This feels uncomfortable and I just don't want it. Or is it something that they can work through, that they can understand that this is beautiful and I'm going to work to feel comfortable and safe in it? Or is it, if this is the person listening or if it's their partner, fundamentally like this person is just always going to connect with you on a more avoidant level Do you think that it's going to change the ultimate level of deepness and intimacy that you can reach with someone who's avoidantly attached? I will say you can't have a thriving and joyful relationship with an avoidantly attached person if they're not working on undoing that attachment. It's the same as anxiously attached people. Nobody's going to love us enough out of our anxious attachment. You can't love somebody enough out of their avoidant attachment. Can we fundamentally change our attachment style? Yes, we can. We can change it if we commit to the work of self-journeying, self-awareness, self-development, healing. But this is what I want every person listening to hear. You cannot change somebody else's attachment style. You can't love somebody out of that. Did it ever work for you? 
<laughs> never worked for me and any of my, you know, avoidant men that I dated in my past. It will never work. And if you are dating somebody who is avoidantly attached, unless they're saying this is causing me problems in my life, in this relationship, I don't want to live this way anymore. And they're getting into therapy or finding a coach or actively doing work on it. It is going to limit your relationship and that relationship cannot grow. You're never going to be able to get close to that person because you were talking about seeing the inner child, that little cuddly inner child of your ex-boyfriend. Here's the thing. He may have felt in those moments too, fully seen. It's not going to last. Just like with anxiously attached people until we start to heal, we feel connected and seen and loved when we're getting that connection and validation, but it doesn't last. Oh, you are so right. Before we start doing the work, we strive and strive to be a certain way, to be chosen by a certain person, to navigate and to maneuver into this way and that way, just so you can get access to that moment of intimacy to show them how good that feels. And even if you get there, it never lasts. And that's why the cycle with my ex-boyfriend from many years and moons ago was such a toxic cycle because we would get to those moments of intimacy and my anxious attachment style would be like oh true intimacy and he would open up and then he would just pull away he would then also get like aggressive almost that he had been intimate with me it was almost that protective mechanism so overcompensating yeah Yes, exactly. And you're right that actually, even if you can navigate it to have some moments of intimacy, you are never going to get long standing, stable, deep vulnerability and intimacy unless that person is working on their attachment style. And what I want to talk about here is how much time you can waste in a relationship or dating someone. And for anyone that's not watching the video right now, Dr. Cherry literally has her head in her hands, basically being like, yeah, <laughs> she's like crying for everyone out there. So this is what I want to talk about. So we spoke about the guy in LA. Okay, he was avoidantly attached. I waited and I made excuses and I said, oh, it's because of COVID. Oh, it's because he's busy at work. Oh, it's because we're having a relationship friendship by phone, if we're just together, if he just is quieter at work, blah, blah, blah. So let's talk about the excuses that we make for the avoidantly attached, or if you are avoidantly attached listening, the excuses you make for yourself. I'm too busy at work right now. This person is too much for me. They're asking too much. Because there's a lot of people out there that are wasting a lot of time trying to mold an avoidantly attached person into a securely attached person. And what are your words of wisdom for those people? It's never going to work. And if you are in that cycle, you need to start focusing on you and your own needs because the pursuing and trying to get somebody to connect with you is always doomed to fail. You should never have to do that. And if you're doing that, there's something about you that needs to be healed. And you can literally waste your whole life dating people who will keep running away from you. And you will do that because you're not examining yourself and your own patterns and the role that you keep stepping into. But you deserve somebody who is ready to be close to you mm. and wants that. And you're not going to change. You can't love someone out of their attachment style. You're so right. So for the people that are going round and round in this cycle, what are your words of wisdom for them? What are we saying to these people who are tolerating these cycles rather than thriving in healthy attachment? You're probably replaying an old 
pattern, template, role from childhood. One of your parents was probably avoidant, not available, not able to show up for you, meet your needs. And I would tell them they need to leave. They may not feel ready to do that, but this is not love. This is not a healthy relationship. And it may be all that you've known. It can be totally different. And if you don't know that, you're just going to stick around and keep tolerating the same dynamic. And it's painful. It's a painful way to live. I agree. I don't think until I started doing the work that I even realized that there were different types of people out there that could love me and communicate with me in different ways. And I hope that this podcast will be the start for some people in realizing that there is a way for you to do things differently. And not only that you can do things differently, you deserve to be with someone that can do things differently. Or if you are avoidantly attached, that you deserve to be able to break through these beliefs that you have so you can also feel like you don't have to run away forever from intimacy. And I think it's time to wrap up now, but I just want to leave with one question, which is that if someone is in a relationship with someone that's avoidant, how can they approach this? Say, for example, oh, I've listened to this podcast and I think X, Y, Z. How should they approach that in terms of having a conversation without it being a deeply triggering thing for the avoidantly attached person? They can say, you know, I listened to this podcast. I think we may have this dynamic going on. And I'm wondering, do you feel like you will ever want to be really deeply connected to me? And just see what they say. But you can also say, I'm tired of this dynamic. I want something different. And do you want something different? Do you feel like you're capable of something different? Because I'm willing to work on myself if you're willing to work on yourself. Oh, I love that. And hopefully if they're willing to even do anything in the relationship. At the very least, you could maybe make it a couple's activity to go and do your attachment styles together and see, are you actually avoidant or are you actually just bad at communication? And then, you know, we know we just need to work on our communication rather than on our attachment styles. So yeah, I think that's the perfect place to wrap up to anyone going through this, whether you are the avoidantly attached or you're in the relationship with the avoidantly attached. This is just part of life, just like in the anxious attachment series where we said, This was formed long before you or your partner were consciously aware of it. But the responsibility we have as adults is to navigate this, to basically lead to deeper emotional intimacy, freedom and life-changing relationships because really the most beautiful thing in life is being truly deeply seen and connected with another human being. So yeah, if you guys have questions, please let us know. Again, please do share on social media, tagging Dr. Terry and I, and also be sure to rate on Apple and Spotify. And we will be back next week with another episode. And until then, we will see you next episode. Bye, Terry. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Silias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.